Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Hallelujah. Well, I'm glad to be in church today, and especially on this day. Actually, uh, Tuesday, October the 31st, is the actual date, the 500th anniversary of uh, what we come to know as the Reformation through a, a Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther who was tired of the corruption that he was seeing and decided to do something about it and to speak out against it. And then we're all grateful to God that he did because the church has come to where it is today in large part because of that one man who chose to stand up against the giant institution uh, that had been established there called the Catholic Church. And so um, it was, it was um, much to do with some of the practices uh, you know the, the story, maybe, that he, on that day, he nailed the 95 Theses to uh, the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Saxony, Germany, on that day. Uh, some say he was challenging the, the Pope to a debate or the Archbishop, um, but either way, when you read the 95 Theses, you can see that much of it just really had much to do with just the, the corrupt practices that had crept in through the years, and the main one that he was fighting was that Pope Leo X had consented to selling forgiveness so that they could raise money for St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and to bring money in by, by declaring that you could actually purchase forgiveness with money. So you can understand why this Catholic monk was outraged at this, knowing that forgiveness can never be bought can only be received because it is a gift from God. And Jesus is the one who purchased it for us with his own life. And so Martin Luther uh, was tired of seeing this and the, the wealth that was coming in uh, into the priesthood and, and all those who were, who were very wealthy uh, and taking money from poor people by claiming that they're selling them indulgences and only to enrich themselves much more. And so I thank God for this man who had the courage to stand up and do something about it. But it, it didn't just start, though, with, with Martin Luther. Even though he's a, a large voice uh, of influence during that time when it came to theology and things like that. But if you go a little earlier in time, there was a man by the name of John Wycliffe, who was also a Catholic monk, that he, um, he got a revelation of the authority of the Scriptures, and that they had to be the final voice. They had to be the final say above the voice of any man. And so you can see what challenge this was to their belief system because the, the Pope is declared to be the vicar of God. And, and, and inside his, his hat that he wears, it says vicar of God, which means voice of God. And, and they deem that it is equal to or even at times greater than the written word. And so when he said, no, the word is the final authority, that's when trouble started. And he believed that they, he, wanted, he wanted to print a Bible, translate the Bible to where the common people could read it and understand it. He didn't believe that it was a privilege that was only uh, privy to the clergy of that time. But everybody should be able to have a, their own Bible and to read it and have their own relationship with God in that way and not have to go through some hierarchy to get to God. Understanding it was Jesus who brought us 
direct access to God. Why do we need men standing in our way now? I mean, there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. We don't need men on, here on earth mediating. We have the man mediating for us, right? And the scripture says that we now have bold access to this throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And once John Wycliffe saw this, he realized this is going to change everything. It changes everything for me, and this is going to hopefully change the world. If I get the scriptures printed where people can read it, and he, and he translated it into Middle English, and, and he was actually the author of that, really, and it's not, they're not real sure. I've done quite a bit of research to see wh what part he did, and they believe he did Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and maybe a couple other in the New Testament, but his protege, John Purvey, was the one who finished the work, and they were able to get the scriptures in people's hands. But the hierarchy did not like this one bit because it was sparking just little revolutions here and there because people stopped depending on a system and they started putting their faith in Jesus and having a personal relationship with God, not a traditional relationship with God, not a relationship with God that had to do with based on their works, their good works, but by faith in Jesus and so the rumblings of a revolution were beginning. But Wycliffe passed away in the year 1384. And over time, as his works were brought forth, they finally had a council with the Catholic hierarchy. And in 1428, they declared that John Wycliffe was a heretic. And, and all of his writings and things needed to be burned. And so... Not only that, they exhumed his body that had been in the ground for 44 years and burned it and spread the ashes in the swift river. They wanted him done away with, the memory forever forgotten of him. But as Paul said, you may put me in chains, but you can't chain this message. You can't chain the gospel. You can burn me, but guess what? The fire already started. And this fire continued to just kind of flicker along, flicker along until 1483 when this man was born. And on October the 13th, 1517, was a day that is marked in history as a shifter for the entire world, really, for the church and for the Western civilization as we know it. This moment right here where he would challenge this whole institution would change how we live our lives today. It's an extraordinary thing. Martin Luther was not only a theologian, but he was also a musician and a songwriter. Wrote many hymns. One, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, because he believed everybody should be singing praises. And he, he wrote songs where a whole congregation could sing and not just watch a band play pretty songs, but everybody could join in and everybody should be worshiping God corporately. And, and also, one interesting fact about Martin Luther, sometime in his life he got filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues. And so when he was introduced wherever he spoke, because he was a high-regarded theologian, he was very sought after, and he was, they would say things like, Martin Luther is a scholar, a, a teacher, a philosopher, um, a theologian, a speaker in tongues. I like that. It was his official title, speaker in tongues. But he wasn't alone in this. In one moment, I'm sure he felt very alone to stand up against a system because he grabbed a hold of John Wycliffe's cause 
to preach the authority of the Scripture. It is the final say. I don't care what man says. The Bible is the final answer. The Bible is the final truth. And, and so he, he began to challenge that and, and, and the idea that men could just make up rules as they go just because they have a certain title and, and just make up rules and, and new things. Act like you can sell forgiveness. And so when he saw that corruption, he said, no, this has to stop. So he, he does this. He challenges the church there, the pope, and the archbishop. And time went on, but there was something else going on. Now, this is in Germany, but in Switzerland, there's another movement that's running along the same lines. And there's a man by the name of Ulrich Zwingli. Everybody say Zwingli. I won't. Zwingli was uh, a great theologian. And he, he was also tied up uh, to this truth. I mean, he was founded on this truth and declared this truth that the scriptures are the final authority. It was interesting, this revelation that was coming to these men in different places. And, but it was the same revelation. The authority is the scripture. And upon that, seeing that the scripture was the highest thing, then Martin Luther and these guys, Martin Luther uh, in Romans chapter 1, let's bring that up for just a moment. Verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now look at verse 17. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And this became the rally cry of the Reformation. The just shall live by faith. Works don't do it. Works cannot save you. You must walk by faith. We live by faith. Christ will not allow us to add our works to this. He did all the work that was necessary. He needs our full faith and trust in Him. That He is the totality for us to have salvation. He is the totality of our redemption. All of his work was the completed and final work. Amen. So we can't earn this. We can't work for this. Grace doesn't allow us that. Grace says, this is a gift from God. Receive it by faith. How simple and wonderful is that and profound. And yet for ages and ages, this message continues to try to be squelched by men and their agendas. They're grabbed for power. Keep people in bondage to rules and regulations and systems when the gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and all your household. Ulrich Zwingli also was a father of Reformation as well. A man by the name of John Calvin. It's another name. John Knox, William Tyndale. And these men would help establish basically three pillars of this Reformation. Number one, scripture alone. Number two, faith alone. Number three, grace alone. And upon those things, they continue to preach and to declare and to public, publicize all of these truths. The Scripture is the final authority. The Scripture says that we are saved by grace through faith, and the just shall live by faith. And this is what really founded this whole movement. It's amazing. But, you know, there continued to be this war, and, and wars broke out, no doubt. And these men spoke against violence, violent uprisings and wars, but it was hard to stop them. And many people died in this process. Unfortunately, sometimes men don't know what else to do but to go to war. And violence doesn't solve anything. Those are the words of Martin Luther. Violence solves nothing. I want you to hear some of the things that some of these men said. And to you, these are going to be things that you know to be true because this is 
maybe all you've known and, and heard in Scripture. These are some of the foundational things in our life. But you have to understand at this time, these were fighting words. Listen, Luther says this. The sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters in our own hands. One is not righteous who does much, but the one who without work believes much in Christ. The law says, do this, and it is never done. Grace says, believe in this, and everything is already done. That's beautiful, isn't it? Zwingli said, for when man through repentance has come to the knowledge of himself, he finds nothing but utter despair. Hence, wholly distrusting himself, he is forced to take refuge in the mercy of God. But when he has begun to do that, justice makes him afraid. Then Christ appears, who has satisfied the divine justice for all our trespasses. For when once there is faith in him, then salvation is found. For he is the infallible pledge of God's mercy. It was these kind of statements, these kinds of things that revolutionized the church, that reformed the church, and necessarily reformed it. Well, time went on. These men passed, and they passed on some of these things down. Now, they weren't perfect men. No doubt they weren't perfect men. Martin Luther in his later life was known to be uh, an anti-Semite and spoke openly against the Jews because he did not have the right understanding of who they are on this earth and forgot that we are grafted in and they are the natural branches and we better not boast against them. And, but we can't just erase everything he did just because he had some issues because if we do that, we have to erase all of history. Hey, Abraham bore Ishmael and out of Ishmael came Islam. Do we, do we just say, well, we're not going to talk about Abraham anymore? The Bible continues to talk about him. How about David, who had a man murdered for his wife? Do we just erase him too? See how ridiculous all this is? See, here's the thing. God knows the fallibility of humanity. And he's not afraid to still use us for his glory. He's still not afraid to put that treasure in an earthen vessel, in imperfect people, to get his will accomplished. Amen. I need a good amen there. Amen. I, uh, I read this, and maybe I thought, maybe you like this. A, a sister from a local convent became a certified public accountant to help small shop owners manage their finances better. Her title was none of your business. Uh, okay. <laughs> Another man who um, was excommunicated by the systematic institution that continued to grow corrupt in many ways was a man by the name of George Whitfield. He was excommunicated from the Church of England for his crime, crime of extemporaneous prayer which means he just prayed from his heart. He didn't read from a script. And they excommunicated him. All of you are criminals in this room today. If you don't pray by a script, you're all criminals. According to the way it was then. 
And thank God he got excommunicated because he ended up on the North American continent in 1738 on the banks of Savannah, Georgia. And when George Whitfield landed there, he went to preaching, man. He went to preaching freedom in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone. I mean, just preaching. And, and I mean, it lit the hearts of the colonists up so much that Ben Franklin said of him, Ben Franklin said of George Whitfield, George Whitfield has so embedded into the hearts and the minds of the colonists the desire for freedom so as to make a revolution inevitable. It was gospel preaching that lit the people, heart, lit the people up for freedom to throw off the tyrannical government, taxation without representation, and all, those other kind, all that other kind of corruption. Aren't you grateful today that one man came here and preached the gospel of freedom? And that's how we are here where we are. As a matter of fact, on the day, on the day of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, July 4, 1776, there was a rally call that day, and you probably never have and didn't know and are not, will never read this in your history books. <laughs> and that rally call cry was, no king, but King Jesus. No king, but King Jesus. Can we all do that together? No king, but King Jesus. Yeah, I didn't read that in my history book. But it happened nonetheless. Still doesn't change the fact that it happened. And it birthed this great nation. It helped birth this great nation. And then at the turn of the century of 1900, something else happened that set on top of this Reformation and took it to another level. There was a young black man who heard a preacher preach in Kansas City by the name of Charles Fox Parham. And that young man's name was Pappy Seymour. When Pappy Seymour heard Charles Fox Parham preach, he decided to take that message to California, to Los Angeles, to a little church there, and he started preaching about salvation by grace through faith and about the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he preached there, it was the most interesting thing because in those times, there was, we think there's some racial, racial division now. It was bad. It was bad then turn of the century black and white people did not they didn't mingle in congregations they didn't you know unfortunately there's still a lot of that today we all are one body we're all one all members of one body but because this black man was there preaching it invited people of all kinds of color to come and they said that during that time nobody thought about prejudice in that atmosphere they were all there to seek God together and as a result of that, <clears throat> on January the 1st, as a matter of fact, right after uh, it became a new year in 1900, God poured out the gift of the Spirit on that church, and they all started speaking in tongues. And that began to change this nation again. And that's when we started progressing in, in industry, in, in uh, business, in ideas, new ideas that were quickly changing the way, we, the way we live our lives. All that came by the ushering in of the, the gifts of the Spirit to the church. Marvelous time. And so here we are today. See, we're built on this foundation. And, and, and Paul says, as one stone is put upon another, 
We're all being built into a holy habitation to the Lord. But you and I are standing on the shoulders of great men and women of God. Great people who wanted nothing more than to let the gospel be preached. Wanted nothing more to let the world know we are not ashamed of this message. And as Martin Luther said, peace if possible, but truth at all costs. We stand up and declare this truth. Declare the truth of the gospel. And, and you know what, my family? You're going to face persecution for that. That's the story throughout all history. You're going to face persecution for preaching the gospel, for living a life after God. For the, for the rest of the existence of this world, that's how it's going to be. But don't be afraid of persecution. Don't be afraid of adversity. Be afraid not to preach this gospel. All right? Let it so burn in your heart as, as Jeremiah, the prophet, said, this word was like a fire shut up in my bones. Paul said it like this, woe to me if I don't preach this gospel. All of us have a responsibility to share this message. This isn't just for the preachers. This is for all who call on the name of the Lord. Because God has put you in a circle of people that need to hear from you. He's put people in your life that you see on a regular basis, you see every day, that need to hear this good news. Hey, listen to me. You don't have to try to explain it. It's not your job to try to explain it. You just proclaim it. I can't explain that. I mean, Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. Isn't that a marvelous thing? Well, well what if they don't understand what that means? Well, is that, that's not our concern, all right? Now, they might start asking questions, and we can help them, but there's something that happens at the declaration of the gospel. Revelation comes right with it. Understanding comes when somebody believes. It's interesting how that works. You believe it, and now all of a sudden things start making sense. God makes sense. His wisdom comes to you, and now you see it from a whole different perspective because you can't reason yourself into righteousness. You have to believe, but the moment you believe, understanding comes. Oh, I mean, think about it for just a moment. We've talked about this. Think about it for just a moment for what happens when somebody believes on the gospel and what kind of revelation comes. It says, in it, the, God, the, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So you begin in faith and you walk by faith. And in so doing, you have the right understanding. You have the right knowledge. You can reason by faith. I love taking communion. It's one of my favorite things to do in church, to receive the Lord's Supper together. Or this is a covenant meal that he's invited us all into to partake of his body and his blood. And, and, and where we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a very intimate thing. It's a very intimate thing. And, um, but we are exalting our Lord Jesus Christ and remembering him in this, but think about this. If you didn't have revelation of this and you were trying to reason outside of faith in God, this is going to be very strange for you. Come to church this Sunday. We're going to eat the flesh of Jesus and drink his blood. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to do that? See, without revelation, human reasoning can't get that. How about water baptism? Try to, try to figure that out without faith in God. Why are you doing this to people? Why are you dunking them under the water? That makes no sense. I know. I know it doesn't make any sense to this. But when you believe, it makes all the sense in the world. There's a revelation that comes with it, a new understanding of why we do what we do. 
So we have to think beyond what we think. (laughs) And that is to put on the mind of Christ. How does that happen when we believe on him? And let me just encourage you today to continue to take up this cause. This is why we're called One Cause Church. It's the cause of Christ. That's it. That's why we're here. His cause. To bring the gospel to the world. To bring the news of him to this world. Everything about this church is behind that. That's, that's why we're here. And you know what? Things change throughout time. I understand that. Methods change in how we, how we minister. The music we did today was not the music I was doing when I was a kid. We were singing out of books when I was a kid. Right? And, I, and I like those songs. I, lo- I love the hymns. But there's been a lot of progression since, since that time. There was even a time, uh, uh, me and my buddy Stephen, he, he left. He can't stand two services, so he just came to one. No, I'm just kidding. A guitar player over here, been my, my best friend since we were boys. And, and when we got into like junior high and high school or so, man, like everything was minor key. And we were all singing Jewish songs and dancing Jewish dances. And we'd get in circles and, you know, go around the room like this. Charismatic two-step. You know, the charismatic two-step, right? But there's been this progress, progression in music, you know, and, and, and let me tell you something. Every generation fights the new music. You might love it now, but you might hate it later. Just remember, just remember, remember how you felt when some of the other people didn't like the music that you liked. So that you never develop a bad attitude. Understanding that the music, the style of music is not what is sacred. The message is sacred. The message is what not changes. And I'll do any style of music it takes to reach the lost, to reach the world. Hmm? Even rap. My son will appreciate that. But I, I, mean, I can remember that. I can remember, and think about this for just a moment. You know who John and Charles Wesley were? They're the founders of the Methodist Church. Now, they didn't found the Methodist Church as it is today so much because they were spirit-filled, tongue-talking, fire-breathing Christ, uh, preachers, you know. Um, but <clears throat> much of their music that they wrote during that time for the church, uh, they had taken songs that were sung in bars, and they had put, they had redeemed those, those melodies by putting Christian yeah. lyrics to them, you know, cr- lyrics that would worship God and, and bless him and bring him into the church. And I mean, people were having a fit about this. <laughs> you can't bring the devil's music into church. I mean, they were fighting it. So this isn't some new thing. This has been something that's been fought for many years. There was a time also in the age of the church where, where people were saying this new music that's coming to the church causes Christians to, to stay out late, to live undisciplined lives, and, and all this stuff. And they were talking about hymnals. Good Lord, really? What was before that? Is it just Gregorian chants? I don't know. This new music. It's, hey, listen, let's not get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in the method. We stay caught up in the message. Amen. Praise God. And so we continue to progress forward throughout history. God has put us here in this dispensation of time, my family. You are here on purpose to keep 
the movement moving. Think about it, 500 years. You know, I've heard of revivals breaking out here and there, some revivals. You hear them throughout the years, and some of you who've studied church history have seen where revivals happen. But here's my issue with some of that. A real revival should never stop. I remember back when God used to move. Well, what? He's still moving. He's still moving. Now, there are these times of refreshing that take place and these special things, but a revival is something that should never stop. And that's one thing about this Reformation. 500 years later, this baby's still going strong. Hmm? 100 years after the Holy Spirit was poured out, still going strong. Amen? Because what God does lasts. What He's really in lasts a long time. Let's continue to carry this message. This message that will reform the soul. Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you for that message that has come to our ears. That wonderful, glorious good news. And we found out we could not earn. We could not do enough good works to fix what was wrong with us. And you knowing that, chose to help us and to save us, knowing that we could not save ourselves. So God became a man and dwelt among us and took upon himself the sins of the world. As John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you, Jesus, that you gladly bore our sins for us you died for our sins so that we don't have to die from our sins. And we believe you today. Today, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, you don't have the assurance that you have eternal life in Him, today, let me just say to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and all your household will be saved. Don't trust one bit in yourself because that won't save you. That won't help you. He offers you not a changed life, but an exchanged life. His for yours. He became sin so that you could become righteousness. Jesus Christ became wounded so that you could become healed. He became a curse so that you could become blessed. He became poor so that you could become rich. He became forsaken so that you could become forgiven. He became the Son of Man so that you could become sons of God. In order for that to be a reality in your life, is to simply say, I believe that. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you were buried, and I believe that you rose from the dead. And that is your entrance into this glorious, glorious, glorious life in Him. Welcome to the family of God. Understand that now you are in this world, but you are not of this world. You are part of a kingdom that can never be shaken, a kingdom that knows no end, so that even in death, we still win. And death someday will be swallowed up in victory. Hallelujah. Father, bless everyone 
in this room and the sound of my voice, God, those by, watching by live stream or listening by podcast, I pray the peace of God that passes all understanding would guard their hearts and minds through our Lord Jesus Christ. And may they continue to carry on what men and women have so faithfully done by laying down their very lives, God, their reputations, their own feelings, their own fears, to continue this glorious message that liberates men and women across the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.